0: Welcome to This Week in Brattleboro History, produced by the Brattleboro Brattleboro Historical Society and
1: the Brattleboro Area Middle School. Recently we spoke about the 300th anniversary of the construction of Fort Dummer. In 1976, an archaeological dig was conducted at the site. Walt Harrington led the excavation and recorded the following in his research notes. Quote, the only area available for search even at low water is the western corner of the fort, which was the house of Major Willard,
2: unquote. Who was Major Willard? It turns out there were three Willards who commanded the fort at various times. They were Josiah Willard, Josiah Willard Jr., and Nathan Willard. In
0: 1740, Josiah Willard was placed in command. In 1748, there were 28 soldiers stationed at the fort. Seven of them were Willards, and one of them was the Willard's son-in-law. Josiah passed away in 1750, so the Massachusetts colonial government appointed his son, Josiah Jr., as commander of the fort. In 1754, the fort was placed under the leadership of Josiah Jr.'s brother, Nathan Willard. By that time, the French and Indian War had mostly moved north and only nine soldiers were stationed at the fort. Four of the nine were Willards. The fort ceased to be military post in 1760.
1: An early map at the beginning of the local history book, quote, Annals of Brattleboro, unquote, show that Oliver Willard, another son of Josiah's, was identified as the 1752 owner of the land where Fort Dummer stood. This land grant had come from the governor of New Hampshire. Josiah Willard Jr. also claimed a 1,000 acres of land on the western edge of Brattleboro, and Wilder Willard, another son, possessed the land just west of the fort. John Arms, husband of Susanna Willard, Josiah Sr.'s daughter, owned a large tract of land in northeastern Brattleboro, which included the first tavern and lodging establishment in town. The arms property later became the retreat farm.
3: How did the Willards end up at Fort Dummer? Fort Dummer was built in the southeastern corner of present-day Boroughborough. At the time, this region was the frontier between many different peoples. Algonquin Native Americans, Iroquois Native Americans, French Canadians, and English Europeans were in competition for the land and trade routes along the Connecticut River.
4: Resources, commodities, and control of trade routes became three areas of contention when Europeans first arrived in the area that became known as New England. As early as the 1500s, animal furs emerged as a valuable commodity. For Native Americans, animal furs were used primarily for family clothing and shelter. However, by the late 1500s, many fur-bearing animals in Europe had been hunted to near extinction. Animal fur garments in Europe were extremely desirable. They were fashionable, warm, and a visible sign of wealth.
2: When European fishermen first encountered Native Americans, they traded manufactured goods for animal furs. Fishmen found trading for furs and selling them in Europe could be more profitable than catching, drying, and salting fish for the European market. As a result, the French, Dutch, and English quickly established trading footholds in the Northeast.
1: European diseases drastically disrupted Native American society. Estimates from the National Geographic Society and the National Institute of Health suggest 75% to 95% of the native population died from illness brought to the Northeast by Europeans. In 1634, Josiah's grandfather, Simon Willard, brought his small family to America from England. He was a captain in the English military. The family initially settled in Cambridge, Massachusetts.
3: The following year, Simon led about 20 men on an expedition to the mouth of Connecticut River. The Dutch had set up a trading post there and established trade relations with Native Americans. Simon's orders were to displace the Dutch, build a fort at the mouth of the river,
2: now Old Saybrook, Connecticut, and attempt to form a trade alliance with the natives. The Dutch abandoned their sites. The English fort was built, but the Native Americans were initially committed to trade with the Dutch. Tensions between the English and the Pequot Nation soon led to war.
3: Simon saw value in the fur trade, so he applied to the Massachusetts government to trade for beaver and otter furs with Native Americans along the Merrimack River. He became government superintendent of the Merrimack Valley Trade Route. He also formed trade relations with the native people of Block Island, off the coast of Rhode Island. These efforts to trade with the Native Americans proved to be very lucrative.
1: Simon was also a surveyor and in 1652 was commissioned to work with others to determine the northern border of Massachusetts. Simon would survey much of the land north of Boston and east of Worcester.
3: In 1650s Simon Willard had risen to rank of major throughout his military career. He would trade, negotiate, or fight with the Native Americans in the regions that would become Rhode Island, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Connecticut.
4: During King Philip's War, The Willard home in Groton, Massachusetts was burned to the ground by Native Americans. For eight months, Simon led local regiments against Native forces. He passed away in 1676, not from battle, but from disease. He was 70 years old. Simon had three wives and 15 children. It has been said that most New England Willards can trace their ancestry back to Simon.
2: Henry Willard was one of Simon's 15 children. He was born in 1655. Henry was married twice and had 14 children. He inherited thousands of acres of land north of Worcester and west of Boston. This land was located in what became the towns of Lancaster, Groton, and Rutland, Massachusetts. Henry was also involved in the local militia. Josiah Willard was Henry's third son from his second marriage. He was born in 1693 in Lancaster, Massachusetts. Josiah was also involved in the military and was a land surveyor. He was one of the first settlers in Lunenburg, Massachusetts, just east of Fitchburg.
1: The Willards were not involved in the initial establishment of Fort Dummer, but Josiah was assigned to command the fort in 1740. Local relations between colonists and Native Americans were impacted by the trade and military conflicts that occurred throughout New England and coastal Canada. Tensions between Algonquin natives, Iroquois natives, or French and English military posts would ripple along trade routes until violence could erupt anywhere in the region. The on-again, off-again colonial war between France and England also had a major
0: impact. In the 1740s, the third generation of Willards began moving up the Connecticut River Valley. This was emblematic of the wave of English colonizers continuing to push Native Americans off their homelands. Josiah's brother Moses was one of the first settlers at Fort No. 4 at Charlestown, New Hampshire. Josiah's indentured servant, James Johnson, married Moses' daughter, Susanna. His family was captured in a 1754 Native American raid of Fort No. 4 and brought the, to Canada. They became the topic of a famous bestseller, quote, A Narrative of Captivity of Miss Johnson, end quote, first published in 1796.
3: When Josiah Willard died in 1750, he left the land he owned on the Connecticut River Valley to his seven children. His wife inherited the house located in the northwest corner of Fort Dummer. She also inherited six cows, one yoke of oxen, and a black mare. Artifacts gathered during the 1976 excavation of Fort Dummer may have been part of the Willard clan.
2: In the 1750s, Josiah Willard Jr. was assigned to command a nearby fort in what would soon become Key, New Hampshire. He left Fort Dummer and his brother Nathan took control of the fort until it ceased to be a military establishment. The fort then became the property of the Willard family.
1: We'd like to thank Gilbert. Jackson, Pfeiffer, Evan, Gabe, David, Cooper, Ethan, Lexi, Hela, Evelina, Alex, and Brielle for reading this week in Brattleboro
4: history. Please join us next week for another story from our community's past.